0: When you were a kid, say in PE class or recess, maybe the neighborhood, and you were going to play a game, basketball, football, baseball, kickball, soccer, whatever the game was, and you needed to pick teams. Do you remember how the process went? Sometimes you would pick two captains, or the captains would pick themselves. You know, the captains were always the most athletic, or the biggest, or they're the ones that owned the ball, or it was their backyard. And then they would line everybody up, and they would just start picking. Now, if you were real athletic, or you were big, or you were a friend of the captain, something like that, it was a great process, right? Because you were one of the first ones picked. He or she would look at you and say, I want you. And you felt like you belong. You felt significant. But it was an agonizing process if you were one of the last ones picked. Maybe you weren't that athletic. Maybe you didn't know anybody. And so they get down to the last two or three, and you're still one of them. And they don't even want to take you, but finally one of them has to take you. That was just horrible. So suppose you're in the early church. The church has just started, and they're picking leaders for the church. Who would you pick? Well, let's start with the captains. Clearly guys like Peter, James, John will be captains. We'll just make Peter and James captains, and John will be one of the first ones picked. But in addition to that, you're going to look at some of the other disciples who became apostles to, you know, be leaders in the church. So, you know, next guy's pick would probably be like Andrew or Matthew or Thomas or Philip. There's one guy that no one would have even thought about In fact, if he were in the lineup, Peter would have said to him, you can just go home. We do not want you. Not because Peter was trying to be mean. He was trying to protect everybody. This guy was the bully. His name? Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. We know him as the guy who started... So many churches throughout the world, once the church began, we know him as the guy who wrote 13 books of our Bible in our New Testament. Perhaps Paul did more to shape what we believe and how we live our lives as followers of Jesus than anyone else, with, of course, the exception of Jesus. Paul is the guy who said, the just shall live by faith. All things work together for good to those who love God. When I am weak, then I am strong. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not how he got his start. It sure didn't start out that way. When Paul began, he was a man to be feared by Christians, he was crazy, he was a terrorist. And so today, we're going to look, but we're going to begin a new series on the life of Paul. In fact, that's what we're going to call it throughout the summer. It's going to be called the life of Paul. And we're going to do a study on not only his life, but we're going to look at some of his writings since he wrote so much of the Bible. And we're going to see his story. We're going to see just how dramatic his story was in terms of what his life was like before he met Jesus and how he met Jesus. And like I said, probably no one is more influential in terms of what we believe and how we live than Paul. By the way, if you're going through the Ridge Reading Challenge right now, throughout the summer, what you're reading, you know, you read Monday through Friday about a paragraph at a time, what you're reading is going to correspond with what we're talking about on Sunday. So that should be pretty exciting because maybe what you just read the last week or what you're going to read the following week, you're going to hear on Sunday. So for example, just this last Friday, you started reading in Acts chapter 9. That's what we're going to look at today. Today, we're going to look at what Paul's life was like before he met Jesus and then how he met Jesus. Like I said, it's a dramatic story. Now, we all have a story in terms of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, for some of you, it's pretty dramatic. It may not be. My, my story is not that dramatic. I was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. I was at home uh, with my parents, and I realized that I was a sinner in need of forgiveness. I need to rely on what Jesus had done for me, and I prayed and invited Jesus into my life. And you know, even at five years old, I knew I had things to be forgiven of. Perhaps as a five-year-old, I had some things that would surprise you that needed to be forgiven. But that's a story for another day. But the main thing to tell you is my story just wasn't all that dramatic. I mean, at five years of age, just how much can change, right? But perhaps your story is different. Perhaps your story is very dramatic maybe you were headed in one direction and as you look at your past you had so many things in your past and you had so much going on and so much baggage to carry and then one day you met Jesus and boom everything changed for you and you became a completely different person and people didn't even recognize you because you were so you were so changed very dramatic but here's the point your story is your story When we look at Paul's, I don't know what you know about him, just know this his story is really dramatic. Now, understanding the backstory to Paul's life will help you understand, too, that he was the least likely candidate. Nobody would have picked Paul. Do you have any regrets from your past? Most of us carry some, but maybe your regrets are so significant that there are times where you think, can God forgive me for that? Would would God give me a second chance? Why would God even accept me? Is there hope for someone like me? And if you've ever felt that way, or you're even feeling that way today, then you need to listen to Paul's story. You need to hear this story today because you're going to be surprised with what you hear. Now... If I were to use just two words to describe Paul, I believe those two words might be grace and grit. Those sum up his life. And so let's take a look at each one of them. The first one we want to look at is grit. You need to understand this about Paul. He was one tough dude. In the fitness world, we probably call him a freak. And that's the best compliment you can pay someone. I mean, tenacious, fiercely relentless in his determination. I mean, he could have made it through hell week in Navy SEAL training with flying colors. I mean, the first time. He pursued his mission and his purpose with unfinishing, with unflinching resolve. You know, Paul says some things that when you read them at first glance are just plain Crazy. Like, when he was in prison, he said, hey, if you let me live, I'll live for Christ. But go ahead, make my day and kill me, because that's even better. I'll get to go be with Christ. (laughs) One time he said, everything is just garbage compared to knowing Jesus. And he said things like, run with purpose, the race with every step. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. No one was persecuted more for their faith than Paul. You want to hear how he described his own persecution? Listen to this. I have been put in prison, whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked. I have worked long and hard, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, gone without food, shivered in the cold, cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That's grit. A few years ago, Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit, and she defines grit as passion plus perseverance. That's fall. Now, the other word, the second word we mentioned that we would use to describe Paul would be the word grace. Paul wrote about grace more than any of his contemporaries, and it's not difficult to understand why. He was the most undeserving, unworthy recipient of it. So he was overwhelmed by God's grace because he had personally experienced it. He called himself the worst of all sinners. He never got over grace. He speaks of God's grace about 80 times in the books he wrote. And since he wrote about 87 chapters, he spoke about grace in almost every chapter he wrote. Throughout this series, we're going to see what made him tick. Um, Today, we're looking at how it all got started, and it's recorded in the book of Acts. While Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, he did not write the book of Acts. Luke, is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Acts is about how the church got started. Much of Acts is about Paul because he started so many churches. So beginning in chapter 7 of Acts, Paul is mentioned in every single chapter from that point on, except for chapter 10. So let's meet Paul before he met Jesus. His name is Saul at that point. And our introduction to him is both brutal and bloody. I called him a terrorist earlier, strong word. Here's why. Stephen, who lived in Jerusalem, was hated by the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, because he was a follower of Jesus. It didn't help that when he preached, he would say things to them like, you betrayed and murdered the Messiah. Well, this infuriated them, the Jewish leaders. And in a rage, one day they grabbed him. They dragged him out of the city and they started pummeling him with jagged stones. Can you imagine dying that way? Being pelted with rocks? They would use stones that were about the size of a baseball. Not so big as to kill the person with one or two blows, but not so small as to be something like a pebble. Maybe about this size. And the more jagged the edges, the better, so they could do a little more damage. And it often took a person who was being stoned to death about an hour to die. The witnesses against the person were the ones to cast the first stone. So with that information, I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 7, verse 57, and as I do, notice when the name Saul appears, and that's Paul when I read this. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, that's Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. There he is. That's our introduction to him. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul, there's his name again, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to fow- house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. <laughs> That's Saul. He's mentioned three times. Not only did he approve of the stoning of Stephen, he was a witness to it, which means he cast one of the first stones. Then we read that he went on this rampage trying to destroy the church. A terrorist. Throughout our lives, if you've gone to church much, if you've listened to sermons, we've adopted this mental image of the Apostle Paul. You know, he's the one who wrote these great books of the New Testament. He's taught us Christian doctrine. He teaches us what it means to live by grace. He tells us to love everybody unconditionally. You'd think he was a follower of Jesus from the time he was a child. Not even close. He hated the name of jesus you see the better you understand the darkness of his past the more we'll understand his gratitude for grace paul was from tarsus a city on the northeast side of the mediterranean let me show you where it was if you look at this map to give you a point of reference here's the country of italy the boot as we call it this is the mediterranean sea here is jerusalem Here is Tarsus. That's where he was from. If you took roads, it would be about 600 miles. And he grew up in a well-to-do home. He was a brilliant young man, educated by the best. In those days, um, students would align themselves with a specific teacher. Saul learned at the feet of a man by the name of Gamaliel, who was considered one of the top instructors in his day. Paul was brilliant. It's likely that he received the highest degree, like a PhD from Harvard. He became a successful lawyer and he was so zealous with his religious convictions that he felt it necessary to snuff out this insane band of rebels called Christians. So he would torture and persecute and kill them. Here's Paul's own word this is Acts 26, beginning in verse 9. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. The word "saw" sent chills down the spine of early Christians. So it is, is it any wonder then that we read these words from Saul who later became Paul in his own writings in 1 Timothy 1.15 where he says this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I Am the worst of them all. But God have mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too, can believe in Him and receive eternal life. Saul or Paul called himself the worst sinner. Wow. You see why now? Do you have some regrets? Do you think you've done some horrible, some terrible things? Maybe some unforgivable things? If so, like Saul, who was a ruthless Christian murdering terrorist, you're a prime candidate for the grace of God. So, so what happened? What happened to Saul? How did he go from this psychopathic murder to a broken, grace filled, passionate Christian who ended up calling himself a slave of Jesus Christ? How? He met Jesus. And when I say he met Jesus, I mean like face to face. Now we're at Acts chapter 9, and check out what happens. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that's Christianity, it was called that at that time he found there he wanted to bring them both men and women back to jerusalem in chains one jewish historian says that 10,000 jewish christians were massacred in damascus let me show you where damascus is as well damascus is here it's about 200 miles north of jerusalem and paul or saul who became paul wanted to go to damascus and bring those christians back to Jerusalem. In his mind, these Jewish traders had fled Jerusalem to seek refuge in a faraway city. So you can see why he went there. His plan was to storm the city, capture these infidels, and drag them into court. But God had a different plan. Back to Acts 9. This is verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's life came to a screeching halt at that point. So Saul asked a really logical question. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That was the day that Saul quit believing that Jesus was dead. He changed his mind about Jesus that day, which is essentially the definition of repentance. And at that moment, Paul was a different person. And if you were to keep reading Acts chapter 9, which hopefully you'll do the days to come in the Ridge Reading Challenge... Saul was blind for three days, but a follower of Jesus named Ananias took Saul in. Saul's eyesight was restored, and Ananias did not do this enthusiastically at first. Jesus had to appear to Ananias in a vision to get him to take Saul in. Ananias said to Jesus, there is no way I'm getting near that dude, which is my paraphrase. But Jesus said, now it's okay, I'll vouch for Saul, I've chosen him. We find out later that his name was changed from the Jewish name Saul to the Greek or Gentile name Paul because he would be preaching to Gentiles rather than to Jews. We'll continue to about, talk about Saul's or Paul's life in the weeks to come. But at this point, I want to conclude today by reflecting on three lessons that we can learn from Paul's past. First, Regardless of your regrets, there is amazing grace. Do you have any regrets in your life? Well, of course you do. We all do. You know, wishing you could go back and relive a moment or a decision or a relationship or something we said or something we did not say. And don't mistake regret for shame. Regret says, if I had to do it over again, I would do things differently. You may even feel sadness about that. You may have to deal with some consequences. Shame is different, though. With shame, you are constantly beating yourself up, focusing on the past, condemning yourself. You think, I am a bad person. I want you to think about the significance of this statement from Paul, a guy who, if anyone had every reason to live with shame. This is Romans 8.1. So that now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. As we work our way through the three lessons here uh, this morning and we learn from Paul's path, I'm going to read to you several of the writings of Paul's and see if they don't take on new meaning or significance to you when you now know Paul's story. Did Paul have regrets? Sure. No doubt but did he live with self-condemnation? No. Why not? Because there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation from God. So we don't have to condemn ourselves either. That's why Jesus died. Listen to the amazing grace that God offers to us. Some of you have heard these verses before. They're very familiar. But hear them through the lens of Paul's past. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And then verse 8, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. You think you've messed up. You haven't done what Paul did. You don't have to live with condemnation. You can rest in God's grace. I love the statement from pastor and author Chuck Swindoll. In his book on the life of Paul, he says, no amount or depth of sin in your past can trump the grace of God. If God can forgive Saul, he can forgive you. Next, Regardless of how unworthy you feel, or regardless of how unworthy you feel you are, God still loves you. Do you feel unworthy from what you've done or what you've said? How about Paul? He arrested, he tortured, he murdered people just for saying they were followers of Jesus. But, you know, it's really not about comparing yourself to someone else. It's not about having some scale to see how worthy or unworthy you are. God loves us anyway. You want proof? Well, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. Again, see these verses that I read through the lens of what you now know about Paul's past. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And Paul called himself the worst of sinners. If you've ever felt unworthy, just look to the cross. God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, to die for me, to die for everybody. I mean, how much more worth or value could that show? Feeling unworthy? Jesus' death confirms your worth, your value. Let me add this. If you have sins in your life that need to be confessed, if you have stuff in your past that needs to be dealt with, by all means, do that. Jesus' death gives you the freedom to find forgiveness. Jesus' death gives you the liberty to deal with your past, to make it right. And then finally, regardless of what you've done, you can have a new beginning. If you remember nothing else from what we say today and from Paul's life and his story, remember that grace provides new beginnings. We refer to it as a mulligan in golf where if you have a bad shot, you hit a second shot and you forget about the first one. It's the restart button, you know, in video games. It doesn't matter how bad the game's going for you, you just hit the restart and you can start the game over again. Now, we all know that we can't erase our past, but the grace of God offers us a new beginning. When Paul knelt down on the road to Damascus, blinded by the light, he faced the reality of his sin... Deep within a man, Jesus transformed his life and Paul started afresh. Don't get stuck with where you were. Don't spend your time focusing on what you used to be. Remember, the grace of God means that we have a bright tomorrow. Sins are forgiven. Shame is gone. No longer chained to our past. I have to wonder If when Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he wasn't thinking of himself, he said this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's Paul's story. And it can be your story too. You're probably not a notorious criminal, but you have a past. And perhaps your life is morally clean. You may be the finest person in your neighborhood. You don't lie to your spouse. You don't cheat on your taxes. You've never done anything scandalous. But that still leaves you like it leaves all of us light years away from the holiness and righteousness of God. Until you surrendered your life to Christ alone, by faith alone, you were just as lost as Saul was on the Damascus Road. If you've never made that decision, what a great moment right now as we begin this series, as I close in prayer, to bow your own head and to receive Jesus into your life as Savior. I'd like to pray. God, how we're inspired by the story, the life of Paul and what it shows us. How amazing your grace is, how amazing your forgiveness is, that there is no condemnation for those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that each one of us, if we have not already, will be able to internalize that and to live being free from our past and to live day by day in your grace and experience the joy you want us to experience by being forgiven of all we've done. I pray that uh, each one of us would receive that into our lives, and I pray that as we continue this series throughout the summer, you'll just show us how meaningful it is to be a follower of Jesus based on what we learn about the life of Paul. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.